Well, thank you, worship team, for a wonderful time of carols and uh, just worshiping our King. This morning, uh, the notes are going to be very important. So if you didn't get uh, a bulletin with the notes, just go ahead and uh, raise your hand and uh, the ushers will quickly uh, hand you a copy. Just raise your hand there and they'll uh, uh, bring that by. want to make sure that you're able to follow along uh, this morning. As I mentioned uh, several weeks ago, uh, when I was in high school and college, I kind of went through a spiritual crisis. Uh, and several weeks ago, I talked about the issue of uh, struggling with seeing friends of mine in high school who had made professions of faith. And then all of a sudden later in college, I realized that they, they had totally rejected their faith or they were living in a way that was completely dishonoring to God. And I didn't know what to do with that. Today, I uh, want to share a different area and issue that uh, was a crisis for me uh, in my faith uh, in college as well. In high school in particular, I was exposed to a version of the gospel that we could kind of call the American gospel. And... Uh, what it, what it did indirectly or directly would say that uh, God promised if you became a Christian, you would be blessed in the American way. For example, if a baseball player became a Christian, God would improve his average at the plate and uh, his ERA on the mound would increase. Uh, or actually, I should say decrease, right? Uh, if a college student became a Christian, God would promise to improve his ability to understand concepts in all subjects, including English. And that he would have an upgrade in the quality of his reports and his grades would improve. If a single gal was to hear the gospel and trust Jesus, God would promise her that a godly and spiritual husband that would provide for her financially and protect her from harm uh, and who would become her best friend would be provided. They would partner as a team as they attend church and raise their children to love Jesus. Or... A young man would be promised that if he were to take two summers off to go on a missions trip, God would bless him with multiple job offers at growing Fortune 500 companies after he graduates. Or if a husband and wife were to commit their lives to Jesus, faithfully teach the Scriptures to their children, get them involved in Awanas, go from cubbies to being, I forgot... <laughs> a solid youth group. Uh, those kids would then do ministry together with the family. If all those things happened, if they did those things in faith, God promised that each child would serve and worship Jesus forever as their first priority in life. I can't even tell you how I struggled when I had people start coming to me and they were not telling me about the American blessing that they were experiencing. Uh, 
they started sharing the pains that came. And for some, those pains increased immediately after they gave their life to Christ. It got worse. It was more difficult. The choices and the consequences were more extreme. This was a crisis for me. What, is, what does Scripture have to say? How do I answer these people? How do I give them encouragement, direction, and guidance? But what it did is it, it forced me to go back to the Scriptures. Because when you're young, you just listen to what you've been taught. And I had to go back and read it myself and find out what is it that the Bible says? What is it that God promises? Well, as I began to investigate, God did promise to his saints many spiritual blessings, especially in Ephesians. But only some of them are realized and experienced in this life. Many, if not most, especially people in other parts of the country, most of those blessings and promises, they don't come now. They don't experience them today, but only in the future. What I also saw was that God challenged us to entrust our physical needs of food, clothing, and shelter to His sovereign care. And he wanted us to focus our time and energy on loving, obeying, and worshiping him. Knowing and obeying his word. Promoting, establishing, and expanding his kingdom. And enjoying the encouragement and fellowship with other believers. What I found out was contrary to what I'd been taught... The Bible did not promise New Covenant saints that they would be guaranteed physical, relational, or material blessing in this life. The American Gospel. In fact, as Second Timothy 3 says, the Lord promised that all Christians who desire to live godly will be persecuted. That flipped the gospel that I knew right on its head. Completely changed my perspective on what was promised, when and where. So that, that brings us today to this question. How are we as believers expected to be obedient and joyful and thankful in this life when God doesn't promise us if we believe in Him and follow Him He doesn't promise us physical relational blessing in this life how can you and I do that how can we on a day to day basis be joyful and thankful even when all the things that we wished we could experience, God says, I'm not promising those to you. Trust me. 
Trust me. That's what leads us to today's message. As we've been looking at James, he says that the genuine believers that are in the church that have been uh, dispersed from Jerusalem, he says those who are wise and understanding, the ones who are true believers that are in the church, they're going to do two things that we've looked at so far. Their, their life is going to be different. They will be able to prove their faith through their good works. And then the second issue that he brings up is that they will have a different attitude than they had before. And that's one of gentleness towards God. So last week, we, we raised the whole question of well, what is gentleness? What does that mean? What does that look like? Why is it important? And so the best way to discover that is we looked at the life of Christ. And uh, today we're going to review that just a little bit. Uh, and we're going to then look at how do we live a life that is gentle toward the Father. But before we do that, if you would look at your uh, sermon outline there. What I've tried to do is put all of this into a nutshell so it's in one visual place for you, so you can wrap your mind around it, uh, and why we've taken the time to uh, go through each part uh, slowly. First of all, you'll notice there at the top, I paraphrased uh, the definition of gentleness that was provided in Zodiati's work. And this is what gentleness means. Gentle is a grace-derived heart attitude towards God, where a believer chooses in faith to accept God's dealings with him or her as good. She or he will not dispute or resist God or his will for their life. In authority and power, this attitude will demonstrate itself with an internal character that is strong, yet humble and tender. So when Moses was said to be the meekest man on the earth, this is the word that the Septuagint would use to explain that Hebrew uh, concept. Moses is a man of authority, power. He's over uh, two, three million people. What does his meekness look like? Uh, In the future, we may take a look at that. But what we did look at last week is, how did this attitude of gentleness toward the Father look like for Jesus? Why don't you look at your notes there? I outlined in two columns uh, the two main points of last week's message. You'll notice on the left-hand side, uh, from the passage in Philippians 2, where Jesus modeled for us a gentle attitude. He humbled himself. He didn't regard equality something to be grasped with the Father. He didn't demand his honor and glory that was rightly his. He emptied himself of five divine rights, his glory, his independent use of his authority, 
the voluntary exercise of some of his divine attributes like omniscience, his eternal riches, his face-to-face relationship with his heavenly Father. Jesus was willing to humble himself. He was willing to take on flesh, come down to this earth, be a slave. A slave to his Father. That's why he was willing to submit himself under his Father's authority. And he obeyed his Father perfectly, even to the point of dying on the cross. That was an amazing example of gentleness. Jesus viewed himself differently before the Father as he took on flesh. Why? Why was Jesus willing to humble himself? And that's where we looked at last week is there was a motivation for that. There was, an, there was a goal. There was an objective that he was accomplishing. And so he was willing to suffer embarrassment, humiliation. Can you imagine being falsely accused to be Satan when he's God? He was mocked, beaten, whipped, spit on. Why was he willing to take that disrespect? What motivated him? And that was the second part of what we looked at. It's the second column on the right. We saw as Hebrews 12 says that it was because of the joys that were set before him that he endured the cross. Well, what were those joys that he was looking forward to? He knew that from the plan in eternity past, that all the saints that would be redeemed through Christ's atoning death and resurrection. See, Jesus had to die to make that plan possible. Somebody had to die. Somebody had to pay the price for your sin and mine. But see, he was willing to do that if it meant that I get to redeem the ones that the Father has given to me. See, the Father was also going to give Jesus a pure and holy bride, which He purchased with His blood. The Father also sat Jesus at His right hand in the position of power and authority. He also knew that Jesus would be given a name above all names. He also knew that Jesus would be given the power and authority to defeat all of His Father's enemies and put them under His feet. Satan, death, Hades, and all unbelievers who rebel against Him. And then, Jesus would be worshipped by all creatures in heaven or on earth. And the ultimate goal, what's the ultimate goal of all this? Is so that Jesus could take everything that's been submitted under His feet, and then He would offer it to the Father for His glory and for His praise. That's why Jesus was willing to be able to humble Himself before the Father. Why did we take a whole week to cover that? It's because when we look at this passage in James, and it says that when a person responds to the wisdom that is from heaven, not the wisdom of the earth, not the wisdom of the flesh, not the wisdom from demons... But when they respond to the wisdom from heaven, one of the first fruits 
that should come is a transformation of an attitude, our perspective toward God. It should change. And we should become gentle. Gentle. Now, for most of us, we, we think that men were supposed to wear a tutu and very carefully walk through the kitchen when our wife is there, that we're being gentle. Don't drop the eggs. Okay? Uh, that, that's not the picture here. The picture is an attitude that we have toward God. What is that? So what I've done is, to make it easier, is I decided to go ahead and write out a definition of gentleness for us. And you'll notice it starts there on the left, up at the top, where it says, we are to be like Christ. So the first part of the definition is, for us to be gentle, we need to do it in a way that's like Christ. And notice the verse there in Philippians 2.5, where it says, Have this attitude in yourselves, or ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's exactly what Paul was saying. Because as uh, the first part of Philippians 2 there, verses uh, uh, 1 through 4, he's challenging us to have a particular attitude toward each other. And then he gives us the reason as to why we should treat each other with respect and honor. Actually, treating others is more important than ourselves. He said, the reason why you do that is be like Christ. And then he goes on to explain what did Christ do such that we would want to honor other people in the body of Christ is more important than ourselves. So that's why our definition, we want to start there as well. Why are we to be gentle? First of all, we want to be like Christ. And He's our example. If you skip the uh, review from last week and go down to the uh, large font there, uh, the definition for gentleness continues. Like Christ, the gentle heart attitude of a genuine believer willingly submits to God's authority. His soul can rest every day because the Spirit has enabled him to believe with absolute conviction. And this page could go for pages. The reasons why we can be gentle is endless. But I've just chosen 11. And what I want to do is just highlight each of these principles that should absolutely transform our attitude toward God. And once our attitude toward God has changed, it will impact how our attitude will be toward others and toward ourselves. But we have to start here. And that's where James starts. When he says someone is wise and understanding, they fear the Lord and they're avoiding evil. This is where they start, is out of that wisdom comes an attitude of gentleness. So let's look at the first uh, principle that contributes to having the right heart attitude toward God. Number one, a genuine believer 
has his sin forgiven. And because of that, he can draw near to God with a clear conscience. Why don't you turn over to Luke chapter 24. We're going to take the time to have you read through each of these passages. Luke 24, verse 46. Uh, Each of the verses are there on your outline if you miss it. It can help uh, direct you to the next passage. Luke 24. And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's the gospel. That's the Great Commission. Is that we're to go and preach the good news that if we repent from our sins, from us being God, us calling the shots in our own life, that we turn to Him as our Lord and our Savior. He is God. He is our Master. We repent our sins will be forgiven. Turn over real quick to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus... Verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Why do we start here? The reason is, is before we can have a gentle attitude toward God, he's got to change us. Through His Holy Spirit, He has to transform our hearts, transform our desires. He has to cleanse us of our sin. He needs to give us a new heart, a new mind, as it says in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And He does that through the blood of Christ. And when our hearts have been sprinkled clean through His blood... We're able to draw near to God. We know from the Garden of Eden, because of the sin uh, that was committed there, they were cast out of the garden. They were no longer walking in the cool of the evening with the, with, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ. They were separated from the presence of God. Through Jesus, we can go back and experience that Relationship, We can go into the Holy of Holies, per se. And through prayer, enjoy His presence. And we can do that with a clear conscience. Why do I start here? Notice the definition up above. One of the aspects of a gentle heart is that the soul of a believer can rest can rest. 
That's what we saw last week. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest. Think about Christmas. Ladies, shopping, wrapping. Where'd the rest go? Christmas parties, recitals, concerts, plays. It can be exhausting. But on a day-to-day life, the issue that we struggle with is, am I right with God? Am I right with Him? And you know what we can do on a daily basis when we don't know that our sin has been covered by His blood? Our conscience has been cleansed and we can draw near to Him? You know what we'll do? We'll work hard. We'll, be, we'll get into works uh, religion. Work salvation. I've got to do these many things to compensate for the sin that I did last week. Um, I, I did it again, so I need to do ten of these things to compensate. Rather than just, as he, uh, as John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Two options. We can either come to Christ and what His Gospel says and rest in our relationship with Him, know that we can be forgiven, that our conscience has been cleansed, and we can enter in to an intimate relationship with Him, or I'm unworthy, I don't deserve it, I've done things that I have to work off before I can go in and enter. And now I'm fretting, I'm worrying. Are the scales balanced? Have I done enough to compensate for my sin? The first place to start to have a gentle attitude with Christ is to know that the gospel is the good news. Period. What Jesus did on the cross was sufficient. It's His death that paid the penalty for my sin. Do I believe that? Number two. Someone who has a gentle heart attitude is someone who understands they've been redeemed from the slave market of sin and they're now honored to be a slave of Christ. Why don't you turn over to Romans 6? Romans 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Verse 22. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. And I'll just read for you what 1 Corinthians 6.20 says. Paul said, for you have been bought with a price. You've been bought. 
You've been purchased. Therefore, glorify God in your body. The reason why we're doing this in the order that we are is because this actually is the way we've got to look at it. First of all, do I believe that Jesus died for all of my sin and that I am reconciled with Him? Do I believe that? Only then can I rest in my soul. Secondly, I have to look at myself differently. Unfortunately, the American gospel is that if you give your life to Jesus, you are free to do as you please and He will bless that. He'll set you free from sin, being a slave to sin, but then you're free to do as you please. That's, that's not what the gospel is. Notice there what it says there in Romans 6. You've been freed from sin, and what does it say there next? Someone nice and loud. Yeah, you're enslaved to God. See, when people talk about the whole issue of, you know, do I have free will, what have you, is honestly it comes down to, do you have the freedom to do what is right? And only in Christ do you have the freedom to do what is right. But I have to realize that when I become a Christian, do I really believe that I become a slave to God? See, remember, gentleness is an attitude that I have toward Him. Do I understand who He is, and do I understand who I am as I've entered into this new relationship? Or are there two alpha males in the, in the kitchen? God and me. And we're fighting. Or is it, no, he's Lord, he's master, I'm his slave. And I willfully submit myself under his authority. See, if you don't see yourself as a slave, that you've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ, you're not going to experience or have a gentle attitude. Because every day when you wake up, you're going to say, God, this is what I want to do. Are you going to bless me in my plans? See, as an as a American Christian, that's how we look at it. God's going to bless me in my plans. Health, wealth, and prosperity. That, that's not in the Bible. It's nowhere to be found. So to have an attitude of gentleness, I need to realize that I'm a slave. What's the number one phrase that Paul used when he introduced himself in most of the letters that he wrote to the different churches? What was the, the description of himself that he gave? Yeah, bondservant. And the correct translation should be what? Slave. He introduces himself as, I'm a slave of Christ. So, here's one of the 13 apostles, if you want to say it. One of the most influential, most used of God in the whole church. And yet, what does he call himself? A slave. And we'll see in a passage here in a minute, he actually calls himself a slave to those he's serving. 
he had a proper attitude about who he was before God. He had been bought. But here's the question for you and me. Am I excited that I was bought? See, we're usually excited about being freed from particular sins, but we get kind of unexcited about being enslaved to God. Is there any way I can have this one without that one? That's the American gospel. You can get this one, but you don't have to do this. And that's why many in the church in America are disillusioned. And here's the word that I hear many times when I'm witnessing on the street. You know what they'll say? This is the the line they use the most. Christianity didn't work for me. It didn't work for me. But I always then ask, what version of Christianity did you believe? And you know what I find out? They believe the one where... If I become a Christian, I'll be blessed. If I'm a Christian, I'll get a spouse. If I become a Christian, I'll have a successful business. And that didn't happen. So that Jesus and that gospel must not be true. I found Christianity is the only faith that actually works. And you can live day to day. And it's true. So secondly, do you and I believe that it's an honor to be Christ's slave? Think about it in America. When we think about the declaration of what? Independence. See, this is a declaration of dependence. That's un-American. What is Braveheart? Mel Gibson scream. Freedom! That's what we want. Actually, what we want is to be a slave of God. Number three. To have a gentle heart attitude... I must come to the belief and mindset that it's an honor to be worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. That is not American. This is the land of opportunity. The land of freedom. This is not the place of persecution or suffering. Yet, How did America get founded in the New England states? Why was it founded? Is you had separatists in England who had gone to Holland looking for uh, religious freedom and they got the opportunity to go to the the new land, the new countries. They were supposed to go to Virginia, but God interceded with a storm and they ended up in Cape Cod. Why were they here? They wanted freedom to worship God. They wanted to serve Him. 
That's the kind of freedom that founded our country, was the freedom to serve God. And they were suffering for that, for that desire. So as a Christian, am I, am I willing, desiring to see persecution and suffering as an honor? That's a question that's tough to answer. See, I was a high school teacher. You know, kids, it's true. I actually went to high school myself before then. Uh, We as parents many times forget the power of peer pressure. But what's odd about that is we'll talk about that all the time when we talk about uh, teenagers and the pressure that they feel to uh, conform. We as parents are worse at work with our neighbors, family gatherings. We conform. Why don't you turn over to Matthew 5. Starting with verse 5. Jesus says, as part of the Sermon on the Mount, said, Blessed are the gentle. That's our word. Jesus is saying to his audience, Blessed are the gentle. Why would they be wanting to receive God's favor for being gentle? He said, What's their motivation? You will inherit the earth. Help me out here. I know when I used to read this as a kid, I'm like, I'm confused. If I'm supposed to be submissive to God, I'm willing to put Him and His authority in my life as number one. And as I stand for Him, I'm going to suffer, as we're going to see here in verse 10, persecution. How is my meekness going to help me inherit the earth? I don't get it. That's exactly one of the things that we have to understand. We're not going to inherit the earth now. See, that's the key. What matters most? Your 70 years here or your eternity later? What matters most? What Jesus is saying here is, is if you're willing to submit to me, you're willing to trust me with your life, the things that I allow to come into your life, and you're willing to be uh, obedient, trusting, following me, and what I, when I allow into your life, I'm going to bless you with reigning with me forever. You're going to inherit the earth, but not now. Verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Verse 12. Here we go. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. Do you see how this parallels Christ? He was going to be put at the right hand of the Father. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. His name will be exalted about of every name. Why? Because He was willing to go to the lowest level of obedience to the Father, even to the point of death on a cross. And even worse than that is on the cross, He was receiving the wrath for your sin and mine on His Son from His Father. So that's why He inherited... Those were the joys that he was looking forward to such that he was willing to suffer. That's what Jesus is saying is identical for us. See, just like Christ, just like him, he's asking us, are you willing to do the same? And I'm not going to ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. Are you and I willing to be persecuted for the sake of righteousness? He promises us the kingdom of heaven if we do. Are you and I willing to be insulted? Have things said against us that aren't true? Are you and I willing to rejoice and be glad? That's not American. Those are things we hear when the missionary comes from other countries, right? And they talk about the Christians being persecuted. That, that's, that's not what we, we know. For example, people we knew were doing mission work in another country. And they, they were hated because it was a country of a, a different faith. And everyone in the community because they looked different, first of all, so it was kind of easy that they stood out. But everybody knew with time that they were Christians. But it was a Muslim country. Uh, About 95%. What do you do? Do you believe verse 12? When three men broke into their home, bound and gagged the whole family, the children in one room, the husband was beaten and then tied in another room, and then the three men took turns with his wife in the next room. Screaming obscenities against Jesus. How do you do verse 12? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. That couple was devastated. They had to work through all the fears. The husband had to work through 
a sense of helplessness. It's this whole issue of meekness, right? I, I can't control the situation. I'm here and I'm, I can't help my wife. That couple today is back on the mission field. Slowly working through, do we believe these principles right here? That we're willing to suffer for Him, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it an honor to stand for Him? You guys know, I love having a little uh, orange tea sometimes right here. Maybe on a jacket, on a hat. I want to represent University of Tennessee. How excited are we to represent Jesus Christ? And are we willing to take some ribbon from a Georgia Bulldog fan or for someone who doesn't like Jesus? See, only then... Only when we have a gentle attitude where we've surrendered, we've given our lives, like Romans 12 says, I've given it as a living sacrifice. My life is not mine. It's His. It's been bought. It's for His glory, not mine. Only then can I have peace in my soul, regardless of the circumstances that I'm experiencing. As we close today, it comes back to this whole question of which gospel have I been believing? The American version or the one that's in Scripture? Has, has my attitude been one of submission to the Father? I'm willingly submitting myself to his authority. I'm joyfully and thankfully welcoming the privilege to stand for him, even though it may have some consequences. Is that the Jesus and the gospel that I'm living? Am I truly gentle? Is that the wisdom that I've believed in? Because James said that should be one of the first fruits that's evident in our lives if we're truly wise and understanding. Genuine believers who fear the Lord and avoid evil. Which gospel are you and I believing today? Let's pray.